0: Welcome, everyone. I'm Sue Barber, author, former IT director for a Fortune 500 company, turn executive coach, and this is the Visibility Factor podcast, where we explore how to raise your visibility and play bigger at work and in life. We'll explore key topics and welcome guests that help you shift your thinking about yourself so you can see new possibilities for your leadership. I'm on a mission to create a visibility movement for leaders to show their value and be seen for their true talent. Are you ready to take the next step towards a higher level of visibility for yourself? Let's go. The Visibility Factor podcast is brought to you in part by the 90-Day Visibility Breakthrough Accelerator Program. Do you believe deep down inside that you can have a bigger career, but you don't know how to get there? You can keep doing what you're doing, but what if there is a better way that could accelerate your progress? This 90-day program is a powerful experience that is unique to you and provides dedicated time to focus on your specific challenge. It gives you the time to develop big ideas and plans to execute them, including the tools, resources, and motivation needed for success. Hundreds of clients have used this same program to take them to the next level in their career and to create a better life. Join me in a 90-day experience that focuses on challenges like creating a strategic plan, how to lead an organizational change, or prepare for a career transition. This dedicated time will help you see new possibilities, recognize your strengths, and take away key insights that can be leveraged immediately. Are you ready to create a breakthrough for yourself? If you're interested in learning more, visit SusanMbarber.com forward slash visibility breakthrough accelerator for more information and to sign up for the program. I look forward to seeing you there. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Visibility Factor Podcast. This is Sue Barber, your host. Today, my guest is Christopher R. Jones. He is a wonderful person that I just met and got introduced to by another one of my guests. And we had such a great conversation that I couldn't wait to get him on the show and have him share all his wisdom with all of you. So Christopher, welcome to the show. And I would love for you to share a little background about you and your company and what you do.
1: Well, thank you, Sue. I am really excited about being here. Like, like you said, we had a conversation recently and it was such an easy conversation. It's a no-brainer, right, that we would record <laughs> the conversation now that we, we have together um, and hopefully some will benefit about what we've talked about. Um, just a little background uh, about me. Um, my business is Authentic Leader. Um, I work primarily with new managers uh, during their transition into a leader of high-performing teams. Um, very briefly about my background. I came from corporate fortune 500 companies for more than 25 years. I've been in my business now and leading this company now, uh, for almost eight years now. Um, and, uh, having a lot of fun, um, with it and learning along the way. And you know how you learn. It's through a lot of mistakes. So I've made a lot of mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm I'm learning a lot.
0: (laughs) You and me both. I just, uh, I'm in my eighth year as well. I just had my anniversary. Everyone was sharing on LinkedIn yesterday. Hey, congratulations. So yeah, we have a similar path for sure. So what made you feel like, you know, that group of leaders was the one that you really wanted to work with the most?
1: Well, that is a really great question. And I tell you, in the beginning, I struggled with it, right? I felt like... um, I wanted to be, you know, the leadership person for all leaders, right? And uh, I, I think a lot of businesses struggle with the same thing I did, and like, how do you niche down, right? And I, I think that we all know intuitively that that's smart to do, but it's so hard to do. I resisted it for such a long time, but the last several years, I've really polished it and really got very focused, as I mentioned earlier, uh, focusing on new managers during their transformation to to leaders and. It all stems back to my early days when I was first promoted to my first manager role, and I, and to make a very long story short, perhaps we'll get into it later. I failed pretty badly at at doing that, and um, I ultimately, I I looked back and reflected on that and decided, you know, I was really being a fake. I was trying to be someone who I wasn't, and as I've learned over the years, and have actually even validated now with also my clients that I find it easier to lead people authentically rather than trying to be someone who you think other people want you to be. Uh, So that's what I do. I help leaders to find their authentic self and then lead from where they are Um, so that they have people who want to follow them and not because they have to, right?
0: Yeah, you and I also have that in common. I didn't do well on my first experience (laughs) leading people. I just kept doing the same things I was doing as an individual contributor and had the title. So it didn't really work out really well, but I learned a lot. You know, I talked about learning along the way. We've all had those mistakes that we've learned from, and I think you learn the most from those anyway. So I'm curious for you, like what made you feel like you didn't do well? Like, what was the experience for you?
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, I started out uh, in a a very large department. And um, I was actually in the technology area uh, of that company. And while I was... uh, Actually, I started there even before I graduated from college. Once I graduated, I got hired on to be in a full-time position, full-time role. And I actually was pretty successful at it. But I ultimately ended up creating a system that this very large department used like every day. I, I revolutionized uh, a key tool that um, was out of date and very archaic and um, transitioned the entire department to, to the... I was very successful at the role. I was so successful, in fact, that I ended up creating a new role in the company. To So um, I literally created a job for myself um, and did great because it just fit me so well, right? I was so successful that I then got promoted to a manager role. And that's where the problem started. <laughs> uh, because I tell you, once you get into management, it, it's the mindset um, that you need to have. The frame of mind you have as a manager, it, it changes in you, right? And I just assumed that I'll just do what I did before uh, as a successful individual contributor. You know, I was influencing and, and leading people kind of unofficially. But when you manage people, you have a new level of responsibility, not only for your results and output, but for your entire team. And the struggle I had is that I I was there for uh, several years and I was uh, feeling like I was fooling everybody, uh, as I alluded to earlier. Uh, I was uh, trying to be the manager that I felt like my team wanted and expected me to be. I was more uh, leading and managing in a way that I thought my boss wanted me to lead. He was executive um, vice president and I was, I was just a fake. I thought I was fooling everybody. Right. And I wasn't. When I ultimately left that role, uh, I promised myself a couple of things. Number one is that, uh, I will never, ever lead like that again. Like I will never, not only will I not lead like that or manage like that again, I will never feel like that again. Cause it is not comfortable, right? I, every day I went to work, I, it was, uh, a struggle, and I didn't feel good. I mean, I was, health-wise, I was not feeling well as well. I was definitely affecting my health. So I promised myself those things. I also promised I'm going to learn everything it takes to be an effective manager and to be an effective leader. And I have dedicated my time. This was more than 20 years ago that I left that role. And I have been studying management and leadership ever since. I am a, a avid reader. Um, actually, I don't like reading. I like having read. <laughs> All right? Kind of like exercising. I don't like exercising, but I like having exercised Um, the same kind of thing. And not only have I applied the principles that I help leaders with uh, and uh, that I have learned myself has worked as I've led teams since that time, but I've also validated it now with the leaders and the managers who I work with now in my business.
0: Yeah, I think it's the toughest transition. You know, honestly, it's just the toughest one. And I think, your story and it's very similar to mine is that we do really well and so there's just an assumption that you're just going to make that leap and i didn't realize you know how much of a shift it had to be in my head either you know it's i call it like a big paradigm shift of you can't do things yourself anymore you have to get things done through others and you struggle to do that because you don't know how to delegate really well yet you don't know how to trust people really well yet and You're still trying to have it done the way you would do it. So it's hard to let go of that control, if you will, at that point, until you learn some things. What are you seeing in the clients that you have? Are they having similar challenges or do they have additional ones that they're struggling with?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's um, pretty remarkable. Um, I mean, as I look back, um, it's not because I've learned this over time, but... It's, what's remarkable to me, I guess, is how normal I was, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I felt like there was something wrong with me. Like, are you kidding? I, I How hard can it be to be a manager? I remember before I got promoted, I thought, this is exciting. I finally get to be the boss, right? I finally get to tell people what to do. I don't have to you know, take orders from other people, which of course, that was totally wrong. <laughs> um, but I, I was excited about being a manager because I worked with some of the most amazing leaders and amazing managers up to that point, I also had some really terrible managers and terrible bosses, right? And um, those that were really good and really effective leaders and managers made it look so easy, right? So I'm just going to do what they do, right? Um, and, but then again, some of those managers who are really bad and really bad bosses, I'm, I will not do that. Well, it's, it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to actually do it. And mm-hmm. like when you're really in the heat of battle, who was it? Mike Tyson said that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> and that's what it was like. I got punched in the face and I got lost and I didn't know what to do. Um, what I didn't know and I know now is that those really effective managers, those really effective leaders, we didn't see them when they started out. I think that there is a very small percent of people who are natural born leaders. There are people who are born that way, right? It's a very, very small percent. Most people are not natural born leaders. So, for those of, uh, those of you who are out there listening to this podcast, thinking, gosh, you know, like everyone else makes it look so easy. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just not natural at being a leader. No, you are. The only thing it takes is making a decision. You've decided that you are going to be a leader, right? And then do those things to help you to become a better leader, which uh, number one, I think, is just lead yourself well. Lead yourself well first. When you lead yourself well first, you create a character in yourself and a credibility in yourself where people want to follow you, not because they have to follow you. Um, I think that's the very first step, uh, if I were to say, um, when it comes to, to leadership is lead yourself well first.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree at all. I think that is 100% true and, and what I've seen in my clients as well. It's just one of the biggest struggles, I think, that everybody has. And I don't know, I think there's just an assumption by senior management that, you know, you've done so well that you're just gonna figure it out. And sometimes you can, um, but not everybody can do that. <laughs> Obviously, right. you and I are examples of that. So. Yeah.
1: I get it. I understand why uh, senior leaders would assume that. Like, mm-hmm. hey, this person's a star player. Like, they just, they just know how to succeed. Well, that is true, but also not true. I mean, like we said earlier, it's a different skill set to manage and lead people. Those those skills that got you to where you are is not going to get you to where you need to go once you become a manager. Uh, so yeah, we we, we got to keep that in mind. My, my big goal, really, if I were to work with the ideal client, it's before they promote their manager. Right? I'd rather set the manager up for success before they get promoted. And we can really help them to discover and identify, is this something they even want to do? Everybody wants to be a manager until they become one. Then they're like, I know numerous people who are like I've gotten in the manager, Like I, I just don't know that this is really something I enjoy doing. Um, and so that's fine. Let's find that out before you become a manager, not afterwards.
0: You know, you mentioned some things or alluded to kind of almost imposter syndrome, right? Where you don't feel like you yeah. can be successful. You don't know enough. You don't. You're not doing the right things. You're under all this pressure. You know, if you could talk to the managers out there of the world who are about to promote someone. Besides asking the question, do you really want to do this? What else could they be thinking about or asking so that they could assume, you know, that the person is ready or understand that the person is ready, maybe not assume, but understand that the person is ready and What could they do to support them when they get into the role?
1: You know, one of the key skills that any really effective manager or leader needs is to delegate well. And I think that's where you start with anyone who you are considering promoting to a new manager role is to begin delegating some of those management uh, roles and some of those management um, functions before promotion. Maybe have them lead the next uh, five team meetings. They're going to put together the agenda. They're going to lead the the meeting. They're going to facilitate it. They're going to make sure people are held accountable. Like start practicing some of those things before they get promoted. Give them some experiences before they get promoted. And then have debriefs afterwards. What worked well? What should you continue doing? Because, boy, when you did that the meeting, that was fantastic. You know, if you do this other part a little differently, I think you might find it to be more effective. So now they're learning and they're starting to understand what does it really take? To lead people and to influence people. Um, But I think in that delegation function is what you can do is delegate some of those management functions and give them that experience. And then make sure you're of course having a debrief and giving them feedback along the way.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great bit of advice. And one of the things I think about when I, even before I became a manager, but I, they were thinking about having me become one in a former role. And She sent me to meetings, like meetings that I had no idea what they were about. She sent me to a plant in Dover, Delaware. And I said, okay, so what are we talking about? She's like, you'll just be, you'll be fine. And I said, but I don't know what we're talking about. She said, Sue, you can answer any question that they ask you, I promise. And so I literally got on a plane, went to this meeting, and I think I answered two questions, but I absolutely knew them. And so it was almost like her belief in me that I could do that was just unbelievable for me because i had never done anything like that at that stage and i was you know fairly early in my career yet so for her to have that trust in me was amazing so i think there's some of those lessons that i've seen managers do for me that i tried to do then for my teams as i got teams under me
1: yeah i love that story i mean the the manager knew you well enough and knew you'd be able to walk in there with confidence gave you the confidence like hey don't overprepare for this thing. I know for a fact you're gonna know the answers to the questions you need. And and you did. So then you came back and you have that success under your belt and increased confidence now as you go to the next level. Right. It sounds very strategic to say, hey, I'm gonna pick you to go to this this meeting, or we're gonna send you there. Um, and and now, okay, what's next?
0: Yeah. yeah, it was definitely scary. I'm not gonna lie. Getting on that plane was like <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! What what if they ask me something and I am not ready? So, when you work with clients, what types of things are you doing with them? Are you doing one on ones? Are you doing groups? How are you helping them?
1: Uh, so, it's in a variety of ways. Um, I work with uh, decent sized companies, large companies, many times to do in house training programs, and um, many times they are. I, I don't know if customized is the right word. We get really clear about what results they need to create from a workshop or a training program that we do. We meet ahead of time and and then, of course, I create it and then we do a debrief. Like I'm a big advocate of debriefing afterwards. So I do a lot of in-house training programs. I also do some one-on-one coaching as well. And even though I primarily focus on new managers and their transition to leadership, um, it's not uncommon for me to work with C-level executives as well. Um, some of my v- most favorite leaders who I work with are those experienced leaders who also recognize that they're not done yet. <laughs> they still have more to learn. And uh, you, those, if you think back and, and look at um, and some of the best leaders you've ever worked with before in the past and were just awesome to follow, they also were continuing to learn. They, they were not done yet. The best leaders are those who are not done and recognize that. I worry about those who say, ah, I got this. I don't need any help. Yeah, You actually need help. As a matter of fact, it's one of my most powerful phrases I think that a manager can say is, I need help. Because if you didn't need help, you wouldn't have a team, number one, right? Everything your team is doing is helping you. And your entire team is waiting for you to ask for help. So go ahead. Ask for help. Tell them exactly what it is you need help with. And they should be there. To to help you, Mm -hmm.
0: I love that. I didn't learn how to ask for help early on enough. I I came from a a world of you know you need to figure it out for yourself, solve the problem, and so that was a lesson that I had to learn from one of my directors, which I'm very grateful for. We went live with a big project, and everybody was kind of coming down on me about it and had their own opinions about how things were going or not going. And he said, "Sue, do you need help?" And I said, "Nope, I'm good, I'm fine." And he said you're not fine. (laughs) You're not fine. I can see it all over your face. I don't have a good poker face. He said, you need to come in and let's just talk about where I can help you. And he said, I go to the CIO all the time, Sue, and ask for help. And I think I just needed to know that that was something he was doing. I would never have thought that would, would, would have been true at all for him to do that. So I think it's just seeing and... I don't know if I needed a permission slip in that moment, but I think it just helped me understand right. that it was okay to do that. Yeah. You, know?
1: you know, as you're sharing that, I mean, I think this is another message for those who are listening to the podcast here, um, is especially for those experienced managers, this is a great opportunity to share with your team where you are getting help, mm-hmm. right? It, there's, You should be letting them know. Should, that's also, that's a perfect example of leading by example, Hey, I want you to know, like, hey, I was going to to my senior manager. I was asking for help on XYZ. And here's what my senior manager helped me come to conclusion that we're going to do this thing. I'm not doing it all in my own little office all by myself <laughs> and looking like I'm smart. We all need help, right? You know, two brains are better than one. Uh, sometimes five brains are better than yep, one, right? Yep. So that's a, that's a great story. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was very impactful. And I wrote about it in the book because I just thought other people need to know this. I didn't know this. Yeah. The other thing that you just said, which made me think of another, maybe a piece of advice, or I'd be curious from your standpoint, but whenever I would meet with people, I would share stories of where I did well or where I didn't do well. And my learnings from that, are you an advocate for doing more sharing You know, of your own stories to help your team understand what happened for you?
1: Yeah, you know, I think that's where people make real connections is through stories. I have a friend who leads executive forums, you know, like um, executive roundtables. And one of their rules is that you cannot give advice. You can't tell someone what to do. But what you can Mm -hmm. do is share a story that's similar to what it is that someone else is struggling or what they're dealing with, where you say, "Hey, you know what, I've been in a situation similar to that. Perhaps it might apply in your situation. Here's how I dealt with it. Here's how I got through it. And there's something magical about the way people can learn through stories um, versus just being told what to do. And we sometimes get patient and we're like, oh, I know what mm-hmm. you should just Just do this. Like, trust me. Like, wait, you don't have all the context. Uh, there's only one exception um, where I've had an exception in that. Perhaps we'll talk about that. But um, it, really, I think it's stories that really... Um, have that, that connection for people. And that, that's, that's how people learn, learn best.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's because it's almost like knowledge that just gets passed on, you know, generation by generation a little bit too, right? Everyone's experiences are different. So speaking of generations, I'm curious of your, your experience with people who are joining the workforce. I'm curious what you're seeing because I'm coaching some people and, and it's, been a bit of a struggle, not because they can't do the job. They come in with a lot of experience internships, uh, a lot of probably way more knowledge than you or I had walking in the door to a company, but they're struggling with how to get things done. They're struggling with how to communicate. And I think the expectations of them are pretty high because they come in with such experience already. I'm just curious what you're seeing.
1: Well, I think we all know what the traditional conversation is around this, right? We talk about millennials and the struggles we have with millennials and how they just don't know how things work and, or generation, whatever, why, or we all were talking, right? (laughs) And these are all people who are just now coming into the workforce and they're just starting their careers. And, I tell you what frustrates me more than anything is the fact that we are spending so much energy complaining about this, right? We are spending way too much energy complaining about it. What we need to be doing is spending more energy helping them. Because if you, if you and I, if we look back, when we very first started our careers it's really not that much different from what new professionals are experiencing now as they're starting to enter the workforce. So let's channel that energy to helping them with, hey, I found this to be a more effective way to accomplish what it is you're trying to accomplish. Um, And let's be honest here. What's the future of business? It's these new professionals who are coming into careers right now. And whether we like it or not, they are going to change the way businesses are run. And it's not going to be the way that you and I have learned and thought that that's how it's going to be forever. It's not going to be. It's going to change and they will demand it. And they are demanding it now already. So let's just help them with how we have learned, but also be open to the fact of how much can we learn from them? Because... They are changing the world right now as we speak. Let's embrace that rather than fight against that.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, they're looking for companies that have purpose. They're looking for companies that can help them grow and develop. And I think if they're not getting that, that's why many of them are leaving, right? They're trying to find the right place for them. And, they, you know, I like the word where they, they're they demanding some things, right? And I find it really fascinating that the things that they're demanding are the right things in places to demand, and we didn't do that. <laughs> I always look at it like, that's really, you know, that's a good point, right? But I think we were conditioned to say, you know, take on as much work as possible, do as much as you can, and then just keep going. And then you might get promoted out of it, right? Instead of, you know, some of the things that they're asking for, I don't think are the wrong things to ask for. Maybe they need to learn how to ask for them differently, potentially, but um, I think it's not the wrong thing. So it is kind of fascinating to observe the different generations and what's happening in each one.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great point. I, that's a that's a really good way to think about it is what they're complaining about or what they want to see different in the world and the way that they see things working differently. Well, let, let's just help them with, hey, here's maybe a better way to communicate that. Or a lot they just don't have experience, just like you and I didn't have experience, mm-hmm. so let's share the experiences that we've had um, and forgive them the fact they don't have the experience. Why should we expect them to have experience? They've had no way of having experience, so give them that experience and and let them take it and and learn. like we said earlier, the best way to learn sometimes is to fail. So sometimes yeah. some strategic failing is also not a bad thing. <laughs>
0: I like that strategic feeling. <laughs> I haven't heard that one. Uh, I think that's important. And, and as leaders, you know, I think about when I came into the workforce, my manager had a whole lot more time, mm-hmm. right? They didn't have all the knowledge and information coming at them that they do today. So I do think that it has to be strategic from a manager who's bringing on new people or onboarding new people. You have to spend time with them. You can't make assumptions about what it is they do yeah. or know. And maybe you need to retrain some things. Maybe they came from a place that wasn't great, and they didn't actually learn what they needed to.
1: Yeah, another important skill I think for leaders—you uh, just alluded to this—ask questions. You know, we we make assumptions about people so much, and we think we know people. I tell you, you start asking more questions, you start to discover things about people you would have never known otherwise. Uh, so, uh, if you're not if you if you're unsure if you're asking enough questions, you're probably not. <laughs> you need to be asking more questions. You need to go, just be curious, right? Be curious and learn more about your team, more about the people who are working with you um, and, and find out where are they coming from. And that will perhaps change your perspective about where they're coming from, right? I mean, one of the things I talk with leaders about, they'll be frustrated maybe with an employee, right? Who they used to do awesome in their role, in their job, right? And now all of a sudden their productivity has really dropped off and their results are dropping off. And or like, well, let's, let's just uh, look back. Let's assess this a little bit. Well, first off, let's confirm the skills. Do they have all the skills necessary that they need to perform the functions of their role? Okay, let's get clear about it. Let's confirm that. Do they really, truly have the skills? Once you've confirmed all of that, okay, well, now let's, let's confirm their will, right? What's their willingness? What's their interest? And if you can find out, um, then you can, and you can do something about it, then you should. I mean, some people may not be performing as well because they feel like they're not being paid enough. Okay, well, great. Let's have that conversation, right? For your role, what is the market value for that role? Could you go and get another job somewhere else performing that kind of role somewhere else? And and if you can do something about it, of course you should. But sometimes there are some things and you may not be able to find them out, right? Because of HR issues and stuff. But some people may be going through a divorce right now. Some people may be going through a health um, a risk right now. Or um, some people might have... um. I don't know, some financial problems they're going through. Like, if you can find that out, you you may be able to decide, like, so someone's going through a divorce or maybe they they just got diagnosed with cancer, but their performance has gone down. Is it worth investing a little bit more in them, knowing that, hey, when they get through this season, they're going to be back to performing again? So perhaps this is a, a, a blip in time and it's worth it. So many times people are like, oh, no, they're not performing. Boom, they're out of there. Oh, no it's really expensive to fill those positions, right? It may be worth keeping them for a little while and demonstrating to the team that, you know, for people who are worth it, we're gonna we're gonna help them along and they're gonna help me if I ever I need
0: it. I wish I would have learned this back then, but I know now to assume the best in others, right? Because there is usually something going on and they may or may not feel comfortable sharing and they don't feel like it's a safe space. So I had one of my old managers on the podcast and he was talking about a situation where he actually helped you know, one of his team members say, go home. His child was very ill and they didn't know if he was going to be okay or not. And so he said, go home. Like, you don't need to be here. You need to be with your family. And that wife remembered that from the, you know, the rest of his life. Like, just, I can't believe you did that for him. That was so unbelievable because we needed him and I can't thank you enough. So like you're creating loyalty, not just from the employee, but from the family, right? Of the situation that may be happening. So just an example, but it's kind of one of those things that I think people make a lot of assumptions today and don't necessarily dig in, I would say you have to be a little bit of a detective. Like You have to ask some questions. You have to try to dig in and understand what, connect the dots a little bit, like what's really happening here? Because they were fine two months ago, and now something's different.
1: Yeah, I don't think people come to work to do a bad job. They really don't. They're not coming to work to do a bad job. So if they are doing a bad job, there's some underlying reason, right? There's some sort of root cause mm-hmm. to that. And if you can find it out and do something about it, then... And you should.
0: So, we talked a lot about the manager's side of things, right? Who have these leaders. As a new person who's just been named a manager of a team, what would you say are like the top three things that they should do moving into this new role? They have, I don't know if they have an office nowadays, but like I had an office, I walked into my office. You know, like, what do you do? The first three things.
1: Well, the first three things, I don't know if there's an order to this, but these are three things you should do. Um, Number one, whether your manager who's hired you to be in this position has asked you to do this or not, I would say create a 90-day plan for yourself. What are the things you're going to accomplish in the first three months of your new role? Be realistic, make sure these are achievable things, but what is it you're going to accomplish? And I encourage you to sit down with your manager after you've created that and review it with them and say, here's what I'm expecting to produce, what results I expect to produce in the next three months. And I would like to get with you possibly periodically throughout these three months, but certainly at the end. And let's talk about how well I did at achieving these things. Are you in alignment with these things I identified as things that I should be producing in those first three months, right? It should be a collaboration and an agreement that you have. That's a super powerful thing, I think, that managers can do. is, uh, Again, whether they're asked to or not, do that. Um, And it really shows a lot of initiative, number one, but also gets really clear like exactly what should you be doing from day to day. You should be accomplishing those things right there. The other thing um, I would say is that you must be focused on building relationships with each person in your team. And I know that this is something that um, some managers will say, "Ah, I'm not really good at that. I'm not really comfortable with that. It's not as difficult as what it may seem. It's just simply spending time with your team. I used to do executive coaching at nuclear power plants across the East Coast. I did a lot of traveling and worked with a lot of executives and leaders. And what we called that was field time. And we would have managers schedule and block what they called field time. And field time literally just means get out of your office, go out, where your team is doing their work. You should just be having very informal conversations, just kind of getting to know them, right? Um, and in time, this is not something that happens over time, overnight, but in time, you start to build that trust. We talked about that a little earlier because they know that you care about them um, and they know that you're interested in. they know that you're learning about them. Uh, what is it? The Jim Rohn quote, I'm a big collector of quotes, by the way. <laughs> um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that is a really powerful quote. And that's what kind of goes along with this, you know, getting in the field. But along with that, I would additionally be a a little more formal and have scheduled recurring one-on-one meetings with each member of your team. And I know managers who I work with, they will try to say things like, well, we just had a team meeting. Do I really need to have a one-on-one? That's an entirely different kind of meeting, right? You need to have pre-scheduled, um, regular recurring one-on-one meetings on, and and you got to treat those sacredly, right? You can't say, ah, uh, we don't need to talk, do we? No, okay, let's not do it. Because they will fall by the wayside. You will learn things you could not possibly learn if you did not have these uh, one-on-one meetings with each member of your team. So um, I hope that's not too much, but uh, those are probably no, the, the three right. biggest things.
0: I I speak about the same things as well. I just think it's so impactful to do those things. And I think it just also shows you have initiative, you know, as a new leader that you want to come in and do a great job and, and all of that. Um, so I wanted to give you a couple minutes to talk about like some of the programs that you're doing, uh, if anybody might be interested in being a part of those. So whichever of those, I know you have a few. So whatever you'd like to share on those.
1: Yeah, yeah. I So I do a couple of things. Um, I, have, um, I do have a leadership diagnostic tool that I have offered because I had a lot of clients um, or even prospective clients who will say, like, I don't even know where to start, Chris. Well, this is just a really simple 21-question uh, survey. It's a multiple choice. You fill it out. And um, it helps to identify, like, where is it that your manager needs the most help first, if you're to identify that. It actually comes back with a score immediately on your screen. But it also comes with a follow-up report that prioritizes, hey, if if you're unsure where your manager needs the most help, this is where they need the most help. Here's where they need the second most help. Here's where they need the third most, so on and so forth. Um, So that's one thing. Uh, I also have another program I do called the, the New Leader Lab. Um, and New Leader Lab is a two-day workshop where we go through all the fundamental things that new managers need to set them up for success. Um, for those who are experienced managers and leaders, you would recognize a lot of the things in there. But if you've never been a manager before and you've never led people before, you just are typically never exposed to these things. You just don't even know about these Really, they're relatively simple tools, right? Um, They're not necessarily easy. But if you don't even know about them, how do you put those together? So it's a whole program about how to do that. Um, With that is two additional follow-up coaching sessions I do with people who attend it. Because in those coaching... Well, actually, in the workshop, you walk out with the 90-day plan. (laughs) Um, uh, It's a draft, though, because the first coaching session, we polish that plan. Um, And make sure it really is realistic and it's tight and it really fits you. And then the second coaching session is a meeting with your supervisor, with your boss, with your senior vice president to review your plan with them. I'm there with you on the phone during the coaching session to support you. But you're basically presenting, here's my 90-day plan for how I'm going to kickstart my leadership role um, with this organization.
0: Wow, I love that. I love the kind of the three-way conversation, especially because that way... You know, everybody's aligned on what's going to happen next. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And I know Thanks. you have your own podcast. So share a little I bit do. about that.
1: Yeah. The Authentic Leader Show uh, podcast is a podcast I've had since 2018. Um, it actually started with a uh, live interviews that I used to do here in Central Virginia. Uh, I'm actually bringing them back. I'm starting to do them again. Um, but it was like <laughs> a lunchtime, uh, uh, podcast with an audience and they got to ask questions at the end. Kind of fun. But that's what started my podcast. And since that time, uh, I have interviewed more than 70 other leaders, authors, and even an occasional celebrity here and there, um, really (laughs) talking about the leadership stories like we talked before. Um, People learn from stories. So I Mm -hmm. want to hear the stories of these business leaders, how they have not only led themselves well, but how they have maybe mentored managers and leaders along the way as they have helped others to to grow and develop their um, their leadership skills.
0: That's awesome. Well, I will put the links to all of that in the notes so everybody can check all the information out on your website and whatever other links I know that you gave me a couple. So I'll put all those in there so they can find everything. Great. Right now, I'm going to transition us into what I call a Rise Up and Be Visible Quick Tips. So these are four questions that I ask every person who's on the show. So the first one is, what is visibility to you? And tell me why you answered that way.
1: Yeah, well, you know, being visible, um, I think it's, it's really being a prominent and um, active presence um, with other people, right? And not only within your organization, but also with your team, Um a, a story that a personal story, I guess I'll share with that is that I remember when I very first started my business, and I realized that you know nobody knows who Chris Jones is, <laughs> and so I better do something to get people out there and, and to get people to know who I am. So I went to my very first chamber um, luncheon. There was 250 people there. I'm an introvert. It was exhausting. I was. I'd say it was overwhelming. I did not enjoy one bit of that. Luncheon, and I remember leaving there saying, "How am I going to do this?" I thought I'm never going to (laughs) be successful if I don't continue to go to programs like this. So I went to the second one, and it wasn't quite as bad as the first one, but I did recognize some people I met from before, (laughs) and they introduced me to some other people. And over time, and you know, a couple years later, I walk in the room and I know everybody in the room, right? But I had to be present, and the only way to do that is to continue to push yourself and go outside of your comfort zones. It's the only place where you lear, You will learn is outside your comfort zones. I remind myself that all the time. If you go back in, in life, anytime you've gotten better at something, it's only because you've been outside your comfort zone. That's where you learn. So mm-hmm. I constantly remind myself of that and, and make myself go outside my comfort zones. I
0: love that story. That's like my women's networking events <laughs> yeah. that I used to go to. very same thing.
1: Uh, I'm a recovering <laughs> expert. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, Same. Yes, exactly. Uh, Okay. So what are you doing now? So you've been in your business eight years. What are you doing now to be visible?
1: Uh, Well, I, so I alluded to this a little earlier. I um, had stopped doing those authentic interview events, um, in-person events, and I'm starting those up again now. Um, And uh, so again, it's, it's one of those where it's kind of a give back to the, to the community, the business community, um, because we have a large number of people who come to these things um, and it's a chance to network with other business leaders, but also hear stories from um, prominent business leaders who I bring in and I will, will interview. Um, But I continue to go to networking events. Um, You know, I'm also uh, just looking for, it's always opportunity to how I can serve and help others. And What I mean by that, another thing I did when I first started my business is that I recognized I needed to meet with a lot of people, have a lot of coffee meetings. And um, so I had like 150 coffee meetings in my first year um, of business. Um, And one of the things I did, and this goes back to your question um, about um, presence, is that um, I I recognize that when I'm having conversations with somebody, my goal is that you are talking 80% of the time. And people will walk away with a meeting with me and they'll say, gosh, that Chris Jones, like he's a great guy. I really don't know what he does. I have no idea what, but boy, I really enjoyed that conversation and I really enjoyed him because most people just don't get a chance to talk much about themselves. So just Mm -hmm. give them the room, give them the opportunity to talk about themselves, be curious, continue to ask questions. Is how you can practice that is um, when you're meeting someone for the first time. And if they don't remember exactly what you do, that's okay but they'll like you and and they'll want to learn more about you later down the road. It's it's a definite marathon. It's not a sprint.
0: Yeah, I always talk about adding value first, right? And then you have some reciprocity opportunities, yeah. you know, at the next meeting for something else yeah. to talk about. Okay.
1: Yeah, but don't expect that for reciprocity. <laughs> that's it true. may or may Good not happen, you know. Yeah. And that's okay. It doesn't and you know, sometimes it might be yes. years mm-hmm. before they come back and say, "You know, Chris, it was 5 years ago. Actually, I met with somebody last week." I, I met with her like five years ago. I ran into her at a networking event for the first time in more than five years. Like that conversation we had was so good. I I follow everything Aww. you do, Chris. I'm like, that's <laughs> awesome. And then she asked me for some more help, which is that's fine. I'm so glad cool. That.
0: See, you just, and that's the thing, mm-hmm. right? You never know who's watching, who's paying attention, who may yep. need you when they need you. That's all. What is your favorite yeah. piece of leadership or career advice you've received? Uh,
1: best leadership advice I, is, um, I think it's embracing failure. And we kind of alluded to this before. It's, it's not comfortable. It's not fun. Um, but it, if I look back, it's always the very best way that I've learned. Um, so I, I chase failure. I look for like, you know what? This may not work at all. And if it doesn't, I'm going to learn from it. I actually heard a podcast where Jocko Wilkes um, was being interviewed. And he was telling this story about how he continues to fail. And like some, anytime a major big obstacle comes in his way, he always said good. And some challenging it, like, every single time an obstacle comes out, like, you're always saying good. He's like, yeah, because you know what? Out of every failure, there's some good that comes out of it. So I say good. And I start looking for what's the good that comes out of this failure. I'm like, wow, that is really good. There always is something good in all the failures. I don't want to do it. I don't enjoy doing it. Yeah. But there's some good in there that you can't get otherwise.
0: <laughs> but it is a good way to look at it because you're yeah. looking for the positive, right? You're not seeing the negative. You'll
1: yeah. spiral if you stay in the negative all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Exactly. All right, and your favorite book that you would recommend to the audience?
1: Oh my! I knew you're going to ask that question, and I really struggle with the book because you say oh, that you can use singular. more
0: than one if you'd like.
1: Okay, so there's a couple. <laughs> these have had significant impact on me, so that's why I'd love to share a few books with with sure. this audience. Um, a most recent one, actually, I got a referral from someone. It's called "Be Your Future Self Now" by Benjamin Hardy. Um, and it really thinks, it, uh, the synopsis of it is it, it helps you to imagine what will you be in three, five years, 10 years. Be that person now, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Figure yeah. out what you should, the things you're doing right now, you should be thanking yourself 10 years from now that I'm glad I did that back then, right? Yeah. It should all be feeding and, and filtering towards that. Another one is Profit First by Mike McCallowitz. Mm-hmm. Um, it was in my early part of my business. I didn't know like how much should I be paying myself? How much should I be reinvesting in the business? How well, I think we know we need to pay taxes, right? So how much should I be putting away for taxes? <laughs> Th- that book solves all of that for you. And it guarantees you have a profit every quarter. How's that for a promise? So if yeah. you're in business and you're wondering how to do that, that's the book that will give you the answer. Um, another one is Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg. And it helps you with just really small ways. It's incremental, right, that uh, creates big change. Um, another one is Exactly What to Say by Philip M. Jones, a really awesome book. In all these situations you come across every single day of your life, this is what you say. Here's how you say it, and here's why that works. So it's also a good one. Um, and then I'm almost done here. The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. Bob Berg is one of the best examples of someone who lives his book. Bob Berg is the (laughs) go-giver. He doesn't, Mm -hmm. obviously, that's that's not what the book is about. But he demonstrates through, by example, through his leadership. Uh, I'll have made comments on LinkedIn, for example, and I'll mention the go-giver and I'll give Bob Berg credit. He will reply to that on LinkedIn, you know? So that's that's amazing. And then lastly, anything by Andy Andrews. (laughs) <laughs> look up Andy Andrews as an author, get any of his books. They're awesome.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know Andy Andrews, so I'm going to have to look up. Uh, well, you can I'm, thank me later. For I'm that missing one, out. I will keep you posted. So I know Mike Michalowicz. He's amazing. I love him. And I just heard about that first book, the, what was it? The future you?
1: Oh yeah, the uh, be your future self
0: now. Be your future self now. I just heard that book mentioned on a podcast, so I have it on my list to get as well. Yeah, I love all those. So yeah, we we like more than one book, but I don't want to put pressure on people to have to come <laughs> up with the list in any way. So. Oh, oh, I do have one more to add. Yeah,
1: it's Read to Lead by Jeff oh. Brown.
0: Oh yeah, I love Jeff Brown. So oh, you do? I know. Okay. Yeah. So,
1: I actually had a chance to meet Jeff Brown. And actually he came here to Virginia and he, um, I was in Na- uh, National Speakers Association for uh, Virginia and I was able to bring him in to speak to our group. So huh. I literally got to drive him from the airport to his hotel. We took him out <sighs> That's to dinner. So cool. I actually got to spend great time. He is an amazing guy. And anyone who struggles with reading at all, you should read that book. And he has an amazing mm-hmm. podcast, right? If you're wondering what to read, Read to Lead podcast is the podcast you need to listen to. You will find you will not have any trouble ever finding a book to read. Finding if, a book <laughs> if you yeah if you uh, get the Read to Lead podcast.
0: So. I I used to listen to that on my way to work all yeah, the time. It's a sure, great one, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is. I learned about so many great books on there. Well, I loved our conversation today, Christopher. I think we have just you know completely bond on so many areas, personally and professionally. And uh, I'm so glad to have been introduced to you and have you on the show. So thank you for being here.
1: Me too. I'm so glad to have found a new friend and we certainly (laughs) are going to stay connected. Um, And I've enjoyed every bit of this entire conversation. You are a fantastic interviewer.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Thanks. That's so nice. Uh, And I already had told him offline, everyone, but he has the best radio voice, don't you think? (laughs) (laughs) I think he would have a radio face yes he does for sure yeah you guys will see it when you see the highlights I promise Oh well thanks so much for being here Christopher I think we've had a great conversation I loved everything about it and I hope the listeners can take some of the key points that he shared whether you are about to be a leader or you are managing someone who's about to be a leader I think there's so many great ideas he shared and I'm so grateful that you were able to do that for us so thanks so much Thanks for being here on the Visibility Factor podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks so much for listening to the Visibility Factor podcast. Remember that visibility starts with small steps that are intentional and consistent each day. Be bold, be visible, be the leader you were meant to be. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on all of our social media platforms, which are highlighted in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Visibility Factor podcast.